Tickly D. Hi, everybody. This is Jerry from Coconut Cove. Hey, have you ever been in a cove and said, boy, would I like a steak dinner right now? Well, if you come to Coconut Cove Restaurant Bar Saloon, we'll give you the steak of your dreams. That's right. Dreams. Ever had a flying steak before? Well, you can have one at the Coconut Cove Lagoon Spa and Resort Town. Thank you. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Weird. Were you reading that, or was that just out of your head? I don't know what you're talking about. That was our, an actual sponsor. Uh, they just send it, and we insert it at the beginning. Um, Do you know I've been craving steak for like three weeks? Why haven't you had it? I don't cook it at home very well, and I want to just go to Do a Do you good boil restaurant. your steak? <laughs> Jesus, gross. <laughs> you know, people do. You get a boiled dinner in Newfoundland. They do the boiled dinner, which is not steak, but it's like roast beef, but still. Isn't boiled dinner like cabbage and corned beef and stuff? Yeah. It's corned beef. I think that's what they're using is corned yeah, beef. Yeah, I don't want that. I've had that. I don't. I, had, I actually quite like it. I think that's um, food that is necessitated by economic strife. You know, so Newfoundland has a bad reputation for food. We mm. we were very fortunate enough before kids to, uh, we did all the eastern maritime provinces of Canada and we spent a week in Newfoundland. And for people who don't know, Newfoundland is a very large island off uh, the coast of um the mainland of Canada, it's actually quite high up in the North Atlantic. Like it's relatively close to like Greenland and, and Iceland. Mm-hmm. Very rocky terrain. You know, it, it not not a lot of vegetation can grow there because the, the, mm-hmm. the climate is so harsh. The food was amazing when we went. Like the See? seafood and fish was great. But even some of the, like it was rustic and simple, but so, so good. I've not been. I've been to Labrador. Oh, interesting. To Goose Bay with my dad. Oh, wow. And I saw the Northern Lights in Goose Bay. Oh, And it's the real Northern Lights. It's not like the Northern Lights you see from cities like here. It's the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very transformative to see that. Can you hear the beeping in the background? No, you're always asking me if I hear the sounds. Well, it sounds like someone's like looking for a bomb in my house right now. They're running like a metal detector. What on earth is my family doing? Are you going to end up in a in a padded cell somewhere going, do you hear that? You hear it, don't you? They're in the walls. They're I don't in the walls. sleep at night because of it. I hear things and I'm like totally convinced there's uh, an intruder coming into my home. Are you serious? Yeah. Ooh. No, so I highly recommend you go to, to Newfoundland. And here's the other thing I was going to say about it too. That, that province is known... Uh, poverty. When things are not necessarily easy to come by, you take care of what you have. Even simple ingredients you treat with maybe more respect than you would normally. Well, my parents growing up, sugar, you treat it with respect. And like there were times when like making a cake and stuff was a treat. Yes. Yeah. And you had to reserve sugar and keep it aside because, you know, they, they used more molasses than they did sugar because molasses is poor man sugar. Well, we, we would have a dessert called Poor Man's Pie, and it was it had a French name. It, it was just bread with brown sugar. Pudding chômeur? That's it. Pudding chômeur. That's exactly it. That's it. Yeah. When I was young, sometimes for dessert, my mother would give me a big piece of fresh bread with butter and molasses on it. I love butter with molasses. I love that. In fact, I eat that for breakfast sometimes. Really? Yeah. Like once, like once in a blue moon, I'll make some toast, butter it up, and then dip it in molasses. I wonder if that's a uniquely Canadian thing. It might be. 
Yeah, I think it might be as well. Anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, my um, when I used to hear from my grandmother and my parents what it was like growing up and what they ate and what they were forced to eat. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. You know, this is really fascinating. And I got to tell you this. Every week of her life, my grandmother on my dad's side would bake 13 loaves of bread. Wow. Because she had seven kids. Wow. Yeah. How long would that last? I think she did it twice a week, actually, mm-hmm. 13 mm-hmm. loaves. Mm-hmm. But like she would just never stop cooking and cleaning. No, and that my my mum's family, there were nine kids, right? Like that's What's well, that era, right? Women had kids till they couldn't anymore. Yeah. yeah. And and just you you maximized everything. You used everything. Mm-hmm. And those people were great cooks. Both my grandmothers were My just grandmother incredible. was not a great cook. She was just good at what she knew, but it was very Acadian food, which I don't like. Oh, why? I'm just not into that kind of thing. I'm not into the meat pie with the rabbit. Mm -hmm. I'm not into a lot of that stuff. I just not, I find it a bit bland to be quite honest. My mom's, my Irish grandmother, she didn't have like a a huge, you know, recipe book of things, but what she made, like her, her soups and even just a roast beef, like it was out of this world. See, my grandmother and my mother cooked roast beef to death. It was gray. It was like Alyoshenka when it was came out of the oven. <laughs> Seriously, it was horrible. It was just yeah, not my favorite thing. Well, yeah, but she did make my grandmother. I have to say, I was just. I'm sorry, I cut you off. But the thing I loved, my grandmother would make pie, homemade pie, and they were amazing, of course. And she didn't need to measure anything. She would just make a pie, mm-hmm. and with the leftover pie crust, she would make this thing called pet dessert, which is literally translates to sisters' farts, like nuns' farts, but they're cinnamon rolls. So she would take the pie crust and fill it with cinnamon and butter and roll it oh. and slice it. And that's what you did because you didn't waste pie crust. So you made another dessert with the leftover pie crust. And that's right. Anybody who's French speaking from this part of the world will know pet dessert. I find it interesting when we do, because we don't plan these conversations. These At are, all. They just happen. The uh, But I love it when we, what we're talking about, there's a link to what we eventually, the story is. And is there a link? Yeah. Well, it's going back to that era. Right. Oh, good. So our our story tonight takes us to Mattoon, Illinois, nineteen forty four. Mattoon, Mattoon, M A T T O O N. What a funny name, Mattoon. Yeah. Oh, hold on one sec. I have to find out what that noise is because it's driving me. It's distracting me. playing laser tag like with the guns so all i'm hearing is them getting hit like beep beep anyway okay so our story takes us to mattoon illinois 1944 it sounds like an I, I, would you like to hear mattoon i wrote it myself well it does have like i guess a little irish mattoon hey yeah, i wrote mattoon mattoon i wrote mattoon and i hope you like it if you don't you can get the fuck out i'll play it on my penny whistle i have a penny whistle somewhere here uh 
So in the 40s, Mattoon was already a very good-sized town. The population at that time was about 15,000. So that's it's a good-sized town. For then, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's quaint, a cute little town still to this day. If you look at, at pictures of it, they have that you know picturesque uh, Midwestern Main Street. I call those back-to-the-future towns. Ba- it's a back-to-the-future town. At that time, they had a dinette factory in the town that, that, that made dinette sets. That was one of the big things that they had there. Oh, I fucking love it. So I bet everybody had a good dinette. Probably. And also, this was interesting, I, I thought. Probably no one else will find it interesting. But they had an oil boom. And I didn't realize there was oil in Illinois. But they had an oil boom that was... They discovered oil in 1940. So the town profited off this greatly. And it was a fairly affluent, uh, relatively happy and peaceful place to live. So what is this story about, Riley? Well, I'm just going to go through the, you know, economics of the town. There's nothing really strange or weird. Uh, This town has grown to uh, just uh, over 30,000. And I thought it would be fun. Why are you looking like that? Are you okay? Did you freeze? You're frozen. So what is this story about? Well, it's about something known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, who's also sometimes known as the Anesthetic Prowler or the Phantom Anesthesiast. Anesthetist. I'm not saying that again. Anesthetist. Imagine having to say that over and over. I know. Imagine if that was your job. I'd quit just because of the word. This was the name given to the person or people believed to be responsible for a series of apparent gas attacks that occurred there. More than two dozen separate cases of gassings were reported to police over the span of two weeks, in addition to many more reported sightings of the suspected assailant. The gassers, supposed victims, reported smelling strange odors in their homes. (laughs) I knew as I was preparing this, you would giggle at that. Well, how can you say the person was known as the mad gasser? How can I not react? You know, and I thought maybe I'll just not say mad gasser because that will make you giggle. And I know because I'm not going to say the phantom anesthetist. Anesthetist. Mm-hmm. That. You make me feel good when I mess up my words. Why? Because you don't shame me. No, well, look at me with colloquially. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? I'm still in therapy for that fucking word. Yeah. So the gasser's supposed victims reported smelling strange odors in their homes, which were soon followed by symptoms such as paralysis of the legs, coughing, nausea, and vomiting. No one ever died or had serious medical consequences, although some came very close to losing their lives. No, the attacks. The first of the 1944 Gasser incidents occurred at a house on Grant Avenue on August 31st, 1944. Urban Rafe was awakened during the early hours of the morning by a strange odor. He felt nauseated and weak and suffered from a fit of vomiting. Suspecting that he was suffering from domestic gas poisoning, Rafe's wife tried to check the kitchen stove to see if there was a problem with the pilot light, but found that she was partially paralyzed and unable to leave her bed. Oh, God. Later that night, a similar incident was also reported by a young mother living close by. She was awakened by the sound of her daughter coughing, but found herself unable to leave her bed. The next day, September 1st, there was a third reported incident, a Mrs. Kearney of Marshall Avenue, which is just one block north of Grant, 
This is something I just noticed in my research where these attack, they all are in sort of the town center. This is not on the outskirts, initially at least. So a Mrs. Kearney of Marshall Avenue reported smelling a strong, sweet odor around 11 p.m. At first, she dismissed the smell, believing it to be from flowers outside of the window. But the odor soon became stronger, and she began to lose feelings in her legs. Ugh. Yeah. Mrs. Kearney panicked, and her calls attracted her sister, who was in the house at the time. Mrs. Reddy, who's the sister, also noticed the odor and determined that it was coming from the direction of the bedroom window, which was open at the time. The police were contacted, but no evidence of a prowler was found. At around 12.30 a.m., Bert Kearney, Mrs. Kearney's husband and a local taxi driver, who'd been absent during the time of the attack, returned home to find an unidentified man hiding close to one of the house's windows. The man fled, and Kearney was unable to catch him. Kearney's description of the prowler was of a tall man dressed in dark clothing, wearing a tight-fitting cap. This description was reported in the local media and became the common description of the gasser throughout the Mattoon incidents. After the attack, Mrs. Kearney reported suffering from a burning sensation on her lips and throat, which were attributed to the effects of the gas. It was at this time that the newspapers got wind of the story and started to report on the attacks. Got wind of the story? You know, I do that all the time. People think I'm like being clever, and I'm not at all. I just like walk into these things. I wish I had thought of that. I should have just taken credit for it. <laughs> Look at me. I can't stop thinking about the people paralyzed who you said vomited, so they must have barfed on themselves. Yeah, but, you, but normally it was from the legs down, so they're not complete paralysis. Just from I know, the, but you couldn't down. get to the toilet. No, you couldn't. That's right. There were some bad things, obviously, that could have happened. I have a friend whose husband got so drunk on their wedding night that that when they went to their honeymoon bed that night, oh, he no. just barfed all over the bed and all over her. Oh, he was bad. loaded. That happens to people. I know. I, that on your wedding night. I don't know how I got through my wedding the way I did because I got no sleep. I think I probably dozed off around 5 a.m. And did you drink? Yeah, but not. I probably not very much. You weren't off your tits? No, not at all. No, I think I was too tired. Your wedding was good. I enjoyed your wedding. I, I, I liked it too. It was the first wedding I've ever been to where there was like 15 or 20 people I knew really well. Because usually, you know, you don't know the people as well as I knew the people at your mm-hmm. wedding. So mm-hmm. it was good to have really good friends there. And there's a photo from that wedding in our photos of you and I. Yes, I have one My, too. Uh, silvery tuxedo. So initially it was suspected that robbery was the primary motive for the attack. At the time of the incident, Securities had a large sum of money in the house and it was surmised that the prowler could have seen Mrs. Kearney and her sister counting it earlier that evening. In the days following the Kearney attack, there were half a dozen similar attacks, though none of the purported victims were able to provide a clear description of the prowler and no clues were found at the scene of the attack. So if you looked at a map, I actually went into Google Maps and checked these streets. If you go to Wikipedia, they list the streets. He moved north and then started going east, almost like in a clockwise pattern through the town. Weird. Oh. Yeah. I shouldn't say this. I was going to say he, he never hit the same street twice. At, one, at Near the end, he, he hit one street like a few nights later, the same street a few nights later. Wow. Okay. So it's odd. The first specimen of physical evidence was found on the night of September 5th when Carl and Beulah Cordes of North 21st Street returned home around 10 p.m. After spending a few minutes in the house, they noticed a piece of white cloth, slightly larger than a man's handkerchief, sitting on their porch next to the screen door. Beulah Cordes picked up the cloth and smelled it. As soon as she inhaled, she became violently ill. She described the effect as being similar to an electric shock. Her face began to swell 
She experienced a burning sensation in her mouth and throat, and she began to vomit. As with other victims, she also reported feeling weak and experiencing partial paralysis of her legs. What fucking substance is that? Good question. We'll get to that. Oh my God. Beulah Cortez later hypothesized that the cloth had been left on the porch in order to knock out the family dog, which usually slept there so that the prowler could gain access to the house unnoticed. In addition to the cloth, a skeleton key, described as looking well-used, was reportedly found on the sidewalk adjacent to the porch, along with a large, almost empty tube of lipstick. (laughs) Okay. So this is an important clue. This gets weirder. The cloth was analyzed by the authorities, but they found no chemicals on it that could explain Beulah Cordes' reaction. The same night, a second incident was reported, this time in North 13th Street at the home of Mrs. Leonard Burrell. She reported seeing a stranger break in through her bedroom window and then attempt to gas her. Public concern over the alleged gassings quickly rose. The FBI became involved and the local police issued a statement calling on residents to avoid lingering in residential areas and warning that groups set up to patrol for the gasser should be disbanded for reasons of public safety. Can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. What does it look like when someone tries to gas you? Because you said she saw someone come in through the window and then try to gas her. I wouldn't even know what that would look like. What does it look like when someone tries to gas you? I was going to mention it later, but the what some people described, it's like a, a gun that farmers would use that spray. It can spray pesticides and things like that. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good question. I'll just have to remember to cut that out later and get to that note. You'll be okay. Hang in there, little guy. Okay. Chief of Police C.E. Cole also warned concerned citizens to exercise due restraint when carrying or discharging firearms. So the mentality of this town was like they were on high alert and ready to fight. This again reminds me a bit of like Van Meter where the people were staying up all night with their guns and and you could see where the police were coming from with this. They didn't want anyone innocent to get killed, right? Of course. Stay inside your home. Let us deal with this. During this period, there was also an increase in physical evidence of attacks being reported, ranging from footprints allegedly being discovered underneath windows to tears being found in window screens. And I found this odd, that as things got more intense, the attacks actually became more intense. So this person's got bravado. Well, and there's theories about that and why maybe they were able to do that when they should have been caught so easily, right? With so many eyes out looking for them. By September 12th, local police had received so many false alarms, mostly from citizens believing that they smelled gas or that they had seen a prowler, that they reduced the priority afforded to gas reports and announced that the entire incident was likely the result of explainable occurrences exacerbated by public fears and a sign of the anxiety felt by women, this is a quote, felt by women while local men were on war service. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. After the police announcement, gasser reports declined. The only incident of arguable note that after that date was the case of Bertha Birch, who claimed she saw a gasser, who was a woman, dressed as a man. That would explain the lipstick. Mm-hmm. So another witness described the gasser as carrying a flit gun, which I was mentioning earlier, and which is an agricultural tool for spraying pesticide. And apparently that's what he, she, they were using uh, to go after these people. Ugh. So here's the weird thing. Not that this wasn't already weird. This wasn't the first time something like this had happened. 
11 years earlier in Boat Court County, Virginia, an eerily similar story had unfolded. The first attack occurred on December 22, 1933, near Haymaker Town, Virginia, in the home of Cal Huffman. At about 10 p.m., Mrs. Huffman smelled something strange and soon became nauseated. Sound familiar? Uh-huh. She and the children then went to bed as the smell dissipated. However, the foul odor returned about 30 minutes later, and Mr. Huffman went to a neighbor to use the phone and call the police. The police arrived, but were unable to determine the source of the smell, and by midnight had left. At about 1 a.m., the mysterious gas appeared once again and all eight members of the family were affected, suffering from nausea, headaches, and constriction of the respiratory system. Most stricken was 20-year-old Alice Huffman, and a doctor was summoned who gave her artificial respiration in order to revive her. Cal Huffman suspected that the family had been attacked, and a neighbor reported seeing a shadowy figure running away from the house. The police once again investigated, and with the help of a Dr. W.N. Breckenridge, were able to rule out either chloroform and tear gas, but were unable to determine the specific type of gas. They had not seen this before. They had no idea what was being used. Well, I'm dying to know as well. Well, if you play your cards right, maybe the gasser will pay you a visit and you'll find out just like that. Shut up, man. And that's how I pictured the gasser talking. Shut up. You're freaking me out, hey. man. Let's go upstairs. I want to, I want to talk to your sister. She's kind of <laughs> cute. I don't want to watch any more movies. (laughs) Following leads that there may have been a prowler, they found the print of a woman's high heel shoe beneath a window. Oh. So remember, this is 11 years prior to the Mattoon stuff. So this is a serial female gasser. Right, maybe. Or it could be a Buffalo Bill cross-dresser. It could be. Two days later, on on December 24th, another family living in Cloverdale, which is not far, suffered from various symptoms, including nausea, burning eyes, and weakness caused by gas. On Christmas Eve? Yeah. Aw, man. Clarence Hall, his wife and two children, came home at about 9 p.m. and about five minutes later smelled a strange odor. Mr. Hall became so weak he was staggering and swaying and his nauseated wife had to drag him outside. Mrs. Hall experienced eye irritation for the next two days. The police were called and Dr. Breckenridge assisted again in the investigation, noting the gas tasted sweet, and that's a quote from him, with a trace of formaldehyde. Looking for a prowler, the police found that a nail had been pulled from one of the windows and a neighbor reported having seen a figure with a flashlight near the Hall residence. Afterward, Clarence Hall sent his family to stay with friends and rounded up a group of neighborhood men who spent the remainder of the night searching for the gasser without success. The Roanoke Times reported on December 27th, gas attacks on homes continue. Another attack would happen that very night at the home of A.L. Kelly and his mother in Troutville, Virginia. Kelly reported having seen a man and a woman driving back and forth in front of the Kelly home in a 1933 Chevrolet at about the time of the attack. A neighbor managed to get a license plate number, but the police were unable to locate it. Now, that this is the 1930s, so that's not... That's not outrageous. No. But you know what I don't understand here? And maybe I'm jumping ahead because I do that to you all the time. What's the fucking end game? This he or she is gassing people and no one's dying. Mm-hmm. No one's critically injured from it. 
I think an interesting one too with um, uh, A.L. Kelly is that it occurred right around the same time as the Hall incident. I mean, I guess it's conceivable they went from one house to the other, but it's so random. So that's why some people think maybe we're not talking about even a single person. But even even if it's not, what a strange thing to like. Is it weird kink? I think it changes if it's a, if it's an individual. It could be like a serial killer, right? But no one died. No, so they're maybe they're not very good. Maybe they get pleasure out of they're they're a serial gasser. But if it's a group, then the motives change, right? Like anyway, we'll get and we'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. The local media published a number of wild speculations regarding the attacks, and panic soon spread through the community. Men with guns in hand began to keep night vigils on their properties, and the Boat Tort County Board of Supervisors offered a $500 reward for the capture of the nefarious anesthetist. <laughs> anesthetist. Anesthetist. Look, it's not even spelt the way it sounds. Anywho. More attacks would occur throughout 1934, including, and I'm not going to talk, like, I could go on for a really, there was a lot that occurred uh, in this county. Of, of more gassing incidents? Yeah, I'm only going to mention some of the more interesting ones. The home of Homer Hilton in Fincastle was attacked on January 10th, 1934. One of the residents in the home reported having heard mumbling voices and someone attempting to open a window. Hilton's neighbor, G.E. Poage, confirmed that he had also heard voices outside at approximately the same time. On the same date, a Troutville man named J.D. Kenzie was also attacked. On January 16th, the home of F.B. Duval near Bonsack was attacked. As Duval ran from the house to use a phone, he saw a man run up to a parked car and speed away. The next day, the police once again found prints of a woman's shoes where the car had been parked. Which is interesting because it's been described as a high heel footprint. That's how they knew it was a woman's woman's shoe. So what were you, why would you wear high heels and knowing you had to run away? Crazy people do that, man. Crazy person dressed up like a woman. And the Buffalo Bill thing is not, makes sense a bit, right? Yeah. Weird. On January 22nd, three separate attacks occurred in Carvin's Cove at the homes of Ed Reedy, Raymond Etter, and George C. Riley. And one of Mr. Etter's sons claims to have seen a figure disappearing from the direction of the house. George Riley immediately called his brother, who was an officer with the Roanoke Police Department. In no time, the police established roadblocks all around the area, but once again, the mad gasser had escaped. With the gas attacks occurring with regular frequency, the citizens of Botor County were in an uproar, and local men were sitting on their doorsteps or patrolling the roadways at night armed with shotguns and rifles. The police expressed their concern once again. So there was like a, there was like a giant Frankenstein mob out at night trying to get this person. Yeah, and again, same thing as, as with um, you know the other town. They don't want anyone innocent to be killed. Okay. Right? And when you have a mob mentality, things can de-escalate really fast, or escalate, sorry, really fast. However... Though they had believed that the gassings were the pranks of adolescence, they were forced to admit that the attacks were something more serious now. At about this time, the New York Times heard about the events and published a story under the headline, Virginians are terrorized by gas thrower who flees at night after making victims ill. Because I feel like that's how they would have said it back then. Interesting that made the New York Times, so that's major news. Both stories actually made national news. Woohoo. But the mad gasser continued his or her or its attacks. 
On January 28th, the home of Ed Stanley in Cloverdale was hit. Frank Guy, a hired hand on the farm, reported seeing four men fleeing from the house. Two nights later, the gassers returned to the Stanley home, but fled when Stanley heard a sound outside the window and went outside to confront his attacker. On January 29th, Dr. S.F. Driver, who believed in the reality of the gasser, admitted at a meeting of the County Board of Supervisors that not all cases appeared to be genuine gassings. On at least one occasion, the offending fumes were traced to a coal stove. The last official attack took place at the home of A.P. Skaggs in Nace on February 3rd. This time, the perpetrators may have used more gas as the family was severely affected, prompting a sheriff to say, No amount of imagination in the world would make people as ill as the Skaggs are. This time, the mist caused more than nausea. The family suffered from convulsions and hysterical shrieking which sounds like a night out with you. Oh, you're such an arse. More cases ensued after that, but they either didn't fit the pattern or were easily explained. Finally, the local authorities released a statement saying that the mad gassers didn't exist, that the gases were caused by normal events, and that the panic was spread by out-of-control rumors. However, not all the police officers, especially those close to the investigation, believed this. The mad gasser of Botort County was never found. I just know, and I don't care if I'm jumping on your toes, stepping on I your toes. I do to you all the time. I just know that somebody is theorizing that it's the military testing shit. Well, let's get into this. Let's start talking the theories. I'll, what do you think the official, and it's okay if you if you jump ahead here, but what do you think the official theory is? That's what I just sort said. Of, it, so it's not that. <laughs> It's not. I mean, there are conspiracy theorists who definitely believe that. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the official line from the government is that these were cases of mass hysteria. Right. Textbook mass hysteria. Yeah, no. Almost two weeks after the Mattoon attacks began, the local commissioner of public health, Thomas V. Wright, announced that there had undoubtedly been a number of gassing incidents, but that many instances were likely due to hysteria. Residents hearing of alarming events and then panicking when confronted by an out-of-place odor or a shadow at the window. Kind of like me at night when I think I hear someone breaking into my home. Right. Wright stated, There is no doubt that a gas maniac exists and has made a number of attacks, but many of the reported attacks are nothing more than hysteria. Fear of the gas man is entirely out of proportion to the menace of the relatively harmless gas he is spraying. The whole town is sick with hysteria. On September 12th, local chief of police C.E. Cole took Wright's hypothesis a step further, announcing that there had likely been no gas attacks at all and that the reported incidences had probably been triggered by chemicals carried on the wind from nearby industrial facilities and then exacerbated by public panic. So that's the official line. Wright and Cole's diagnosis was given further validity in 1945 when the Journal of Abnormal and Social Psychology published the phantom, oh damn it, anesthetist, anesthetist, anesthetist of Mattoon, a field study of mass hysteria, which documented the Mattoon incident as a case study in the field and is still referred to today. So it's a like a an example used of of how, you know, huge mass hysteria can become and people see things that didn't actually happen and by the way, I cannot see your face at all. I know I look like a giant black disc of despair. 
<laughs> I know, because I'm hidden behind my breath screen. In, in 1959, his opinion was seconded by psychologist James P. Chaplin and went on to form the basis for several subsequent studies of the phenomenon of mass hysteria. Some experts believe that the mass hysteria was fueled by the headline in the Mattoon Journal Gazette, Mrs. Kearney and Dada first victims, which assumed there would be more attacks. Most of the physical symptoms recorded during the Botart and Mattoon incidents, including choking, swelling of mucous membranes and weaknesses, temporary paralysis, have all been suggested symptoms of hysteria. Mm-hmm. Here's a problem with that, though, and I'll say this. The initial incidents, no one knew but the families who were impacted. They weren't in the news initially. In Mattoon, it was three incidents in before the newspapers got wind of it. And the Botor County stuff, it took some time before it hit the newspapers as well. So how do you explain those incidents? That is not mass hysteria. It can't be. Well, mass hysteria, I learned more about mass hysteria from doing this podcast than I had ever learned before. And I believe that one of the contributing factors to mass hysteria is psychological stress. So maybe I'm wrong, but what would the psychological stressors be here that was causing or contributing to that? The World War II thing? Yeah, it could be, right? And again, many of the men being away, and that's something yeah. that they mentioned. Absolutely. Um, and I I think for sure, for sure, mass hysteria played a part after. But what about the children? Oh, I sound like I sound like a Karen. What about the children? Yeah, well, I mean, if they're listening to their parents, then they're afraid too. Now, little Diana, I want you to leave your bed, fall on the floor, and puke on yourself. Can you do that, Diana? Diana, be a big girl and puke on yourself. I get that argument, and I certainly think that some people fell under that category. I don't think, though, for me personally, that doesn't exp- it just doesn't fully explain what happened. And here's the other piece that the government claimed, right, was that, that maybe chemicals from one of the nearby factories came by and impacted the people. Then they should fucking have, like, investigated those chemicals ASAP. They did. On September 12th, Chief of Police Cole told a press conference that odors and symptoms reported may have been the result of pollutants or toxic waste released by nearby industrial plants and speculated that carbon tetrachloride or trichloriothylene, I probably butchered that, trichloriothylene, yeah, both of which have a sweet odor and can induce symptoms similar to those reported by purported gasser victims, may have been the substance released. In response to Cole's statement, Atlas Imperial, the primary company indicated in this affair, released a statement of its own, saying that their facility had only five gallons of carbon tetrachloride in stock, which was contained in firefighting equipment. Atlas Imperial officials also deny that any quantities of trichloroethylene, which is used in cleaning supplies. Right. You knew that? No, but it sounds like something that would be used to clean. Yeah. So they they deny that any quantities uh, of the gas uh, could have been responsible for sickness in the town. And this makes a lot of sense, reasoning that it would have taken significant quantities of the chemical to sicken townspeople and... The factory workers would have experienced similar symptoms long before anybody outside of the factory was affected. Well, and what would the perfect storm have been of wind conditions? Like there's so many variables that would all have to line up perfectly for that to happen. And why only one house a night? Yeah. 
uh, maybe yeah. sometimes eventually two, right? Yeah. Uh, at the time of the gassing, the Atlas plant had also it had just been certified as being safe by the State Department of Health. So they're above board. And yeah, but you know that means nothing. Didn't you watch Aaron Brockovich? <laughs> yeah. Well, this was back in a in a more golden era when we had more faith in the government. Well, and just in industry as well. I shouldn't say that because there was certainly hawks out there looking to take advantage of people. But anyway, we have no reason to believe that they did anything untowards. There's no evidence that these gases came from that plant. Atlas. Zero. Yeah. I love that it's called Atlas. Even the name of that plant is like a 40s kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Atlas Enterprises, where the future is now. Uh, All right. So the other theory is that there was an actual assailant, that there was a mad gasser. After analyzing events, some researchers have concluded that at least some of the gasser incidents were the work of an actual attacker who carried out a series of gassings as reported by witnesses. But who were they? What was their motive? Well, that's the thing. Nobody got raped. Nobody got robbed. Nothing got stolen. Nobody got murdered. No one got murdered. Like it would just, like I said, it was just a sick kink. Could have been. Or here's another theory. So in keeping with it being an actual person. So one theory is that it was some sort of mad inventor who was testing a new apparatus. And there's a, there's actual a person from the town who backs this up, who lived there at the time. A resident who grew up in Mattoon during the time when the gas attacks were taking place has said that there had been two sisters living in town at the time who had a brother who was allegedly insane but brilliant. Right. A number of people in town believed that he was the mad gasser, and so his sisters ended up locking him up in the basement until they could find a mental institution to put him in. After they locked him away... Her father told her the gas attacks stopped. Did he wear high-heeled shoes? Well, maybe. I wonder if it was aliens. Did anyone wake up with a sore bum? We're getting to that. Oh, sore bum. This one I think is interesting as well. Not the aliens with sore bums. No, not the aliens with sore bums. But when you get kidnapped by an alien, you wake up the next day with a sore bum. That's how you know. Has this happened to you? Yeah, but I, I know why I have the sore bum. All right. Why does the stupid place have to be called Mattoon? It just makes me laugh just hearing you say Mattoon. Mattoon and the gas. The people of Mattoon. All right. So could, and I think this is a good question to ask, could the gasser have been government agents who came to test some military gas that could be used in the war effort? Did I not say that like a half hour ago? Yes, but we didn't talk about what they were. So it might be telling that once national attention came to Mattoon, the authorities began a policy of complete denial and the attacks suddenly ceased. Right. Which is interesting, right? The police were in charge. And remember this too. The police were telling people, get off the streets, stay in your homes. We got this, right? And you know what? Like with the whole like military testing shit, why wouldn't they use prisoners like they always did? If you're going to try shit like that, try prisoners. Well, maybe that's too easy. Uh, You want to see if this would work in bunkers. If you're doing cells, it would be maybe harder I guess you'd have to do solitary confinement, but maybe they want to see how the gas works in a larger area, right? Get some monkeys. Maybe they already had, and maybe they were moving up to the human experiments. I mean, my God, they were testing nuclear bombs on American soil at this time. I know. I love that film. Mm -hmm. I do. I love it. I'm sick for loving it, but I love it when you see all the dummies just go boom. And I do find it interesting between the two areas, 
uh, you know, 10 years apart that as soon as these things go national, it stops or, you know, shortly after Mm -hmm. Uh, this stuck out to me too, as violent uh, as the townspeople were becoming and how dangerous this was for the gasser, they still persisted, right? They were still pushing and still doing it with apparent ease, which leads to the next sort of theory that people have, which is that it was a paranormal entity that was able to flip between dimensions. That's why no one could ever catch it. So paranormal slash aliens, that perhaps it was experiments, you know? So also some of the descriptions of the, the gasser sound almost alien-like. Because some people described it having like a mask on its face that perhaps the not really knowing whether it was a man or woman, perhaps that was, you know, evidence of an alien, that type of thing. What's tough about these two sort of ideas, whether it was a spirit or an interdimensional being slash alien, there's no evidence. It's a theory. It's an idea. But there's no evidence. Not like some of the other things that we've talked about. That is my least favorite theory. Well, and it's like Dietlov. I think we we sort of had that sort you know element to the story as well. I think it's much more likely that this was a government cover-up than it was, uh, you know, that type of supernatural thing. By the way, did you see complete non sequitur here? Have you seen that there's been news lately about Diet Love? They think that they have finally figured it out. What, what did they? I didn't read the whole thing. I wondered if you had. Oh, I've just oh. seen it in the uh, in, in the headlines. I've been meaning to go and see what well, it's I'm, all about. Yeah, is that coming from the Russians? I'm going to totally check that out. Well, who knows? I mean, it's probably just, hey, finally solved. And then you find out it's just nonsense, right? We see that a lot of the times with some of these stories we bring up where they say it's been solved and it's not. But one we can uh, verify as true is that Ronald DeFeo is dead. Yes, he is. The Amityville uh, murderer. Yeah. He is gone from this world. And the house disappeared. (laughs) Gone. Just vanished. So... Whoever or whatever he, she, it was, the mad gasser has vanished into time. And real or imagined, it's only a memory in the world of the unknown. We will never know who the mad gasser was. We just know that after a good night of eating beans, we all have our own little mad gasser inside of us. Oh, I knew there was going to be a joke coming about that sometime. And I just made that up too. So no incidents like that ever happened again ever happened again Hmm. don't you find that weird too right it's all very strange i was listening to dan carlin's podcast and i'm going through his back episodes he had an episode where he talked about the logical insanity the things that countries were willing to do that to us seem insane but at the time are logical when faced with the circumstances and the stakes right so ultimately, and he's talking about the the use of the atomic bomb and at the end of World War II, it's not inconceivable that they would have looked at the, the U.S. government would have looked at the big picture and said, we are going to try this on this gas that we don't think, they probably would have known that it wouldn't kill people, that it would per- paralyze people, and they wanted to live test it, you know? I just can't believe they would do it that way i would think they would try to find some third world country or prisoners or some unfortunate species to try that on we're doing a bit of a a thought experiment here but i would then counter to say if you're going to another country it becomes harder to mask you're bringing in more people that have to be aware of it right if you're going to another country 
You have to transport it there. I just threw that out there. Well, no, it's a good point. It's a good point, right? The prisons is a good point. All of it. Those are great counter arguments to the government was behind it. So what do you think then? I think it was the government. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a government cover up. I, I found I find it too coincidental that both towns very similar. It sounds like the gas may have been developed a little bit from the 1930s to the 1940s. The paralysis became more pronounced in the 40s versus the 1930s. I think that it's strange how, you know, the people on the ground investigating, like the police that that worked the case, felt that, no, this wasn't just mass hysteria. No, this wasn't chemicals coming from a factory. Someone was doing this. They firmly believe that. Now, they could have been suffering from mass hysteria as well, but these are trained people that you would think don't sway that easily, right? I want it to be a crazy scientifically gifted cross-dressing person yeah the the high heels and the lipstick uh the people saying they saw a man woman that doesn't necessarily tie into the government you know being behind it right so it could very well be that too i'm picturing the crazy scientist guy he's in his bathroom he's staring at the mirror and he's putting that lipstick on he's like i'm beautiful and now i'm going to go out and i'm going to share my beauty with everyone and then he goes and gasses them. That is so unnerving what you just did. Good listener, if you could have seen Riley, it looked like he has said that before many times. Well, I say it every morning. That's how I get through my day. Good Lord. That went from being really creepy to really charming. You don't know how many times someone has said that to me. <laughs> I like that story. So, so you're going with serial gases? No, I'm hoping that it's a serial crazy gas person. Mm, I, because he didn't kill anybody, so I'm kind of rooting for them. Yeah, but maybe he was going to. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was just not very good. Well, you know what's nice about it, though? Like, what if that's all they wanted to do? <laughs> just gas people. Yeah, just nice. fuck them up. Just fuck them up a little bit, and oh. then off they go. Like, that's kind of fun. If you're like, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna be like a crazy serial person breaking into people's homes and messing with them. You don't kill them and you don't critically injure them in any you way. You're angry just... when someone broke an ornament off your balcony. It wasn't an ornament. It was a giant rabbit statue. Yeah. An ornament. It's not an ornament. An ornament is like a, a thing you put on a tree or a, a, a small object. You got angry when they did that. And yeah. this this person's breaking into your home and gassing your family. Well, I wouldn't like it if they did it to me, okay. but it's funny from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah there's like there's um years ago national lampoon was a thing mm -hmm. more than it is now mm -hmm. the internet killed all that print media humor mm -hmm. anyway national lampoon used to put out this book that i adored when i was young called strange facts oh and one of the things in the national lampoon thing was strange criminals mm. and in it the my most favorite two ever were this a guy gets into, and I know it's awful, and I would hate to be assaulted this way, but it's also kind of funny. Mm. A guy breaks into an elevator, not breaks in, he's in an elevator, and a woman gets in the elevator. The door closes. He takes two eggs, breaks them on her buttocks, and then rushes out of the elevator. He just takes two raw eggs and breaks them on her arse, and then runs out of the elevator. The other one is... Somebody broke into somebody's apartment in like Chicago or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not making this up. This is in the National Lampoon book. 
and didn't do anything but cooked a bowl of rice and dyed it green and just left. That tells me that's probably a friend playing a prank. Well, apparently it wasn't. Okay. Well, are you, is that your story? That's my story. That's it. That's all. Oh my God. The mad gasser. The mad gasser of Mattoon and possibly Botort County. Is Mattoon still there? Yeah. Yeah, you can take a look at it. It's nice. It's a nice town. I, I would have put a motion for it to change the name of the town. And that the other town, the other county, sorry, I'm going to say it's Boat Tort. So I've been saying Boat Tort. If anyone knows Boat, Boat Tort County, and we do have lots of listeners in the States, let us know if we completely butchered it so that we can um, uh, say we're sorry in it's a future episode. It's probably Boat Tort. It's probably those transplanted French, right? Botort. No, wow. I would say Boat Tort. It's Just like Beau-tort. De- Detroit. is Detroit. Yeah, because Beauregard is actually Beauregard, but they say Beauregard. New Orleans was Orléans. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all that transplanted French. I hear kind of like a train whistle. Oh, it's probably my kids. So, good listener, at one point in this uh, show, I actually, we paused and... I the 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 noises you may have heard at the beginning of the episode of the beep beep beeps I thought maybe someone was uh, trying to defuse a bomb was not far off. My children were playing laser tag just outside the door. My favorite part of the story is they were surprised that that would disturb you. That's just being a kid. Okay, um, we love you, dear listener. Yeah, and if you enjoy what you're listening to, share the good word of the weird with your friends and family. Uh, you know, like us on Facebook or Instagram, follow along. That's a good place to go, by the way, Riley, because uh, that's where we post all our pictures and stuff from, from the episodes. If there's anything relevant, uh, that's where that goes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's uh, a, a nice way to stay in touch with us too. And, you know, uh, rate us and uh, just uh, put the word out there. We don't ask for anything from you. We uh, just ask that you uh, share. I'm going to, why can't I ever say that part right? Look, people, you know what I'm trying to say. Just spread the word of the weird. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Well, good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Uh, would you like to hear my tune? I wrote my tune, and I hope you like it. If you don't, you can get the fuck out. I wrote it myself. I'll play it on my penny whistle. <laughs>